Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Uh, good. Good. I see a couple thumbs up and I hear one good. Good. Uh, it is an extremely exciting day. Um, I, I, I cannot tell you how excited I am. It's such a great step of health and maturity for our church. If you don't know, after service today, we're having a congregational meeting where we are going to vote on our first elders. Now, I'm an elder, but as far as the elders that have been raised up from our church, uh, we're voting on uh, two gentlemen today, Jairo Rojas and Kurt Kiefer. There he is. So, an exciting day. It's, it's an exciting day because, it's, again, it's, it's a step towards our church being healthier, uh, just increasing, increasing in, that, in that health and that strength, um, having more wisdom. Uh, just, it's great. Uh, and it's, I feel like it's a step of obedience as well. So, but that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to go ahead and pray, and we'll get right into it. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you for a chance to come together as friends, as strangers, as brothers and sisters, as, uh, as your children, as, re- as the redeemed, as seekers, as, the, as wanderers, God, just as as we are, we get to come into this place, and Lord, um, and, and be transformed by your truth. Lord, by the, by the work of Christ in our lives and the giving of the word in him so that our lives could be made to glorify you and we could be made more like you. And also we as a community, we as a people, we, we have an identity as well as a people. And even us as a people can be made more like you through this transforming truth. So God, give us clarity this morning. Help us to know your way, to know your love, or in a way that transforms us and doesn't just give us information. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I love those questions that kind of stir thought and get conversations going and and I don't have many. I've kind of got like a standard few. And so like once I've hung out with you for a few times, I've got no new material. Um, some people are really good. And Tenhave is pretty good at those questions. Usually have to get him to reword it so you know what he means, but they're really good. And, uh, but he's really good at them. He's always just got the good stuff that'll just make you think. One of my favorite ones to ask, again, one of my few, is if you were to write a book today, what would your book be about? Who's got one? Right there. Charles, what book would you write today, please? Okay, let's just come back to you. Okay, Corinne. Uh, no, so I, I've heard some of it. So, um, Corinne, what would you write? Sci-fi children's mystery novel set in the tunnels of downtown Houston. I think she's thought about this before. Um, well, who's going to follow that? Nobody. So... I'll say this, I, I've thought about it, and if I were to write a book today, uh, I th- one of the ones I would like to write is one called uh, Goalless Fitness. So it's Goalless Health, like how to be healthy without setting weight goals, vanity goals, whatever. And the, the premise of the book is if you do the right things, you get the right results, right? So I've just written it, that's done, that's, that's it, okay? Take it with you. It's free, no royalties, do the right things. You get the right results, you'll be healthy, and you'll feel great. So there's my book. But thinking about that, you know, I, it's, it's interesting to think about what we're teaching about today. We're talking about biblical eldership. And if we would say we want a healthy church, we want to just do healthy things. 
We want to do the things that God has given us to create healthy people. Again, healthy individuals as well as the collective, the healthy identity as a people. And so a healthy church, let's com- if we want to be healthy, let's commit to do healthy things. And when we say healthy church, again, I just kind of alluded to it. What we're saying is a church made up of healthy people. And when we say healthy, of course, we don't just mean that your blood pressure is low and all that stuff. What we mean is that you have a perspective that begins with the truth of God, that you have, you have a soul that has been redeemed by the work of Christ, and that you are living a life that is daily working and striving to submit your will and your way to his will and his way. In your, in your great imperfection, saying, God, I want to be holy as you are holy. Here's my life. Today I say yes. That's a healthy people. We're people along the way. We're on our journey of transformation. That's a healthy people. That's a healthy church. So we want to do healthy church. We want to be a healthy church. Let's commit to do healthy things. So just like, the, just like my different my book, that's where we're at. So we come to the word of God, and we see that one of the things a healthy church has is healthy leadership, healthy elders. So that's what we're going to do. Later today, as you heard, we're going to vote on two elders. And, um, and again, just taking that, working and taking that step to be a healthier church. Um, so think of today's message kind of as the FAQ section of biblical eldership, okay? So we're going to kind of work through kind of some of the most common questions that people have about eldership. So again, if you were here a couple weeks ago, I said we're kind of still in this kind of topical vein. Beginning next week, we'll be back in the Sermon on the Mount teaching through verse by verse teaching starting in Matthew 5 after the Beatitudes. But one more week kind of of topical, again, being taught through the word, by the word, but again, looking at it kind of in questions. This is broad strokes and kind of foundational, so by no means will we teach all there is to teach about biblical eldership today. By no means will I be able to kind of suss out every question. This is going to bring actually probably more questions to your mind, okay? And, and you, I hope you're okay with that. I'm okay with that. Otherwise, we'd be sitting here for six hours at least, and you don't want that. So um, I want to leave room for Kurt and Hiro to share a little bit of their testimony, their personal story and journey that has brought them to this place of desiring to step in this role with us. So at the end, we'll kind of hear some time of testimony from them. So know that it's broad strokes. Write down your questions. Let's dive into personal study yourself of what Scripture teaches about uh, church leadership and biblical eldership, and also follow up with questions to me and to others you know uh, in our church. So let's get right to it. If I had a goal for the day, I would say it would be this, that we all leave today compelled towards gospel mission with a clearer understanding of how God has given our local church to be ordered and led so that he would be glorified and we would be equipped for his kingdom work and cared for by one another, right? Did you get all that? Should I read it again? I love run-on sentences. I do. So, It probably should be up there, but it probably wouldn't have helped. So here we go. If my goal today would be this, that we would all leave today compelled toward gospel mission with a clear understanding of how God has given our local church to be ordered and led so that he would be glorified and we would be equipped for his kingdom work and cared for by one another. That's my goal for today. That's the goal of biblical eldership, believe it or not. All right? Exciting. Okay, so here we go. Let's get right to it. Why, is it, why does this matter? Let's just start with Titus 1.5. It says this. This is why I let you in Crete. This is Paul writing to Titus, a guy that he discipled and led and sent out. He says, so that you might put what remained into order. So what remained was the work left 
as, as Paul left. So what you, that you would put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So there it is, appoint elders. That's our starting point. So as I thought about, and as I've been kind of praying through this, we thought about like just, just the concept of elder and eldership. And chances are that you're not very familiar with a, a biblical picture of what an elder is and what a, a, an elder-led church is. And when we say elder-led, what we mean is a plurality of elders. We'll unpack that in a little bit. But we mean that there is a, a plurality of, of elders leading the church. But chances are the idea is a little ambiguous. And so we, 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 I wanted to, again, familiarize ourselves and, again, root ourselves in biblical understanding. In Scripture, you'll see a few words that are used to describe kind of roles and leading of the church that all are pointing to the same responsibility, the same opportunity. Those words are elder, overseer, shepherd, and bishop. And they come from a couple of different Greek words. Some of you care, some of you don't. Episkopos and presbyterio. So again, those are different ways that are translated. They're describing the same office. Again, now what we've seen is that we, we men, through different institutions and expressions of church, have taken and given those some very specific meanings and very specific offices and very specific roles and responsibilities. Again, we want to distill it down and come back to the center, to the foundation of what Scripture means, and then we want to go from there, not from all that we have heard and seen through man's creations, okay? So those are some words you'll see that are all describing the same, same thing, this idea of elder. All can be referring to the same role. So let's work to make this clear, right? So uh, thinking first as we want to kind of paint the picture of what an elder is, what biblical eldership is, let's, let's first answer the question of what qualifies someone to be an elder. Now, Again, if you, if you look at kind of the world's perspective and even maybe your, some of the common expression of elder boards, if you know of any, uh, is that what qualifies someone is we would say possibly that they're gray-haired. They've got a lot of experience of life, which I'm becoming more experienced every day. So I had like, seriously, last night, it was really cool. I had this really long one, and it was almost like I willed it to go away because I went to like check how long it was, and before I touched it, it just fell out. So... Because my, my wife told me not to pull them. She said it because they come back even more unruly. Because Anyway, so, but some think that it's just gray hair. Being old is what qualifies you to be an elder. Some would say that it's, it's the person that's been around the longest in the church. You know, we're a young church. We're 16 months old, so it doesn't take much. But some, some would say that's what they, what they think it is. A person that's been around the longest, and they've kind of earned the right through loyalty. Uh, others would say that it's, the person that gives the most money. You know, they, well, they give a lot of money. They should be the influencers of the church. They should be the decision makers. Haven't they earned that? Haven't, or maybe, maybe it's not the haven't they, maybe it's the haven't I, right? I mean, that's sometimes the expectation of what, because again, if we're thinking of the elder role being the role that leads the church, that leads the church and discerns the way that the church should go, we think that another one that we kind of would see a worldly perspective is the successful businessman, the person who's on a lot of boards already of making decisions. And we would think that, again, okay, well, if they're good there, if they can do it in that setting, they can probably do it here in the church. And I'll say that none of these are inherently bad. Again, we, life experience is great. Per loyalty, you know, investedness is great. Fruitful giving 
you know, sacrificial giving is great. And again, we would love godly businessmen, but those aren't the things that necessarily translate to someone being an elder that God desires and that we need. So let's take again, again to the word. There's a few places in scripture that we can see some expressed qualifications of what it is to be an elder. We're going to look at 1 Timothy 3. You can look at Titus 1. You can look at 1 Peter 5. And then you'll kind of see um, some peppering of that as well through some other places in Scripture. Uh, they, they all kind of, Titus, uh, 1 Timothy gives you the most extensive list, and really the other ones kind of maybe do different iterations of these same uh, qualifications. So we're going to come to 1 Timothy 3 really quickly here and read through it, and then we're going to see some of the qualifications of an elder. And maybe it'll help us see why these worldly perspectives of what it takes to be a leader don't necessarily guarantee that someone would be a good elder. So here we go. 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7 says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Overseer, again, same, same thing as an elder. Uh, Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Now, literally, I, I mean, like there's so much there to unpack and to teach on. And, and I hope that you take some time to do that. And maybe we take some time together to do that over, over coffee or in the office or whatever. But the, there's two things that I hope we see out of these qualifications. First, it is, a, is it an extremely high bar, extremely high bar. There's some things that are extremely intimidating. And, and, and in the high bar, again, maybe I'm going to divert for a second. At the same time, it speaks the need for a, a, for a leader to walk, to, to know grace and to be shown grace. Like, again, this is such a high bar. Like, I just, I was talking to Ted earlier before service started, and we were talking about kind of qualifications, and I said, you know, looking at just snapshots of people's life, you could take a snapshot from a conversation I had yesterday and say, oh, wait, you know, Heath, Heath, you, you weren't, you weren't gentle, you weren't, you were quarrelsome yesterday. I was, I was quarrelsome yesterday. Like, I went in looking for more like I went, into, I went into a discussion looking for more like back and forth. I wanted to, I wanted to have some rub. I didn't want to resolve. I wanted, I wanted to prove my point and make the person submit to my point. So you could take snapshots. So all of a sudden we see that the, the, there's just a freebie. The leader needs the grace of the gospel to lead because this is a high bar. But yet, again, hopefully just a, a view, like pulling out to the view of the entire person's life. We see, and we'll kind of come back to this a little bit, but that is characterized overall by the character of God, by someone living a submitted life along the way, as we talked about, and that that is not the norm, but that is, uh, again, an expression of our flesh, but yet that we submit that, we become confessional, we may, you know, again, a little bit of a diversion. But we see that there's a need for the grace, even in the, is a high bar. The second thing I want us to see is that these qualifications are not just for elders, I mean, let's just look at this through the lens of Scripture. What we know 
God commands his people to live like. He, again, we were created in God's image. There was, there was a fracture of relationship and a fracture of that image being displayed in the fall and rebellion of our sin. And then there was a restoration where Jesus came in and reconciled us and made us whole. And so in doing that, we are all brought into that. We, were, we are all, if you called on Christ to save you, surrendered your life, you are a sinner made saint. You are a people now set apart for God's holy purpose, every one of us. And so this is an expectation for all those who are in Christ. It's not just that the elders, those who are called elders are the ones that are expected to live this way. Isn't, I mean, let's just get honest. Like this is what we all pray that our lives will look like. And who wouldn't want these things in their life? right? I mean, who would want to be described by the antithesis of any of these? We would all want to be described by these. And it's because, again, our heart, those who are reconciled to God, desire with all that they are to, to see that flourish in their lives, to see that expressed. And so it's a high bar. It's not just for the elders. And it's, but what it is, even though it's not a greater expectation, there is greater accountability, that's why when you see it start there, for if anyone desires, anyone aspires to the office of overseer, it's not saying that they're hungry for the position. What they're saying is that there is a compelling in them. There's a conviction that says, I need, God is leading me, just calling me to step in and take on this role because we'll see that it is not an easy task. We'll see that it is tenuous and we'll see that it is demanding and it calls, us for, it calls for sacrifice. So if you were doing it under some other motivation, whether it's selfish gain, or whether it's outward pressure, you will crumble one day. You will be exposed. And so again, there is this, it, it, so we see again, not greater expectation, but greater accountability. James 3.1 says this, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Again, so just greater accountability. We're not asking for perfection in our elders and neither is God. Jesus is the only perfect man. If you were to keep reading in James 3, you would see that it says that Jesus is the only, it says, therefore, they will be perfect, but Jesus is the only perfect man. So what we understand is that that's impossible, but yet what we are being asked for is a life characterized by the character of God. We would see this in their priorities, in the way that they're courageous and stepping into the unknown. We would see it in their, the way that they live lives of integrity. They would see, we would see it in their humility. We would see it in the way that they step in and lead. We would see it in the way that they step in and serve, laying down their lives. An elder is meant to lead and serve the people of God in the eternal work of gospel mission, making, dis making disciples across the whole earth which is the proclaiming of the gospel and teaching all that has been taught to us in his word. So therefore, if their qualifications are what they are, they would naturally be different than leadership needed for earthly temporal endeavors. We would need ones that reflect the very priorities and character of God, and that's why we see that laid out in such strict accountability because you become visible, you become a target, you become, you're leading out front, you're leading the way, and so again, you, that is why there's greater accountability. Okay, again, could say more, but we're going to keep moving. So if those are the qualifications, what are the responsibilities? What are the responsibilities of an elder? In one sentence, this is what I would say in one sentence, an elder is to guard and shepherd the flock and guard doctrine. When I say doctrine, I mean the truth of God given in his word. Elders will be involved, they will be involved in the logistics and the administrative aspect of what it is to be the bridge Montrose as an organization in Montrose, Texas, 
always feel weird. I feel like I have to say Montrose, Houston, Texas. But in this area, in this local hood, I don't know. So, but yeah, totally lost my train of thought, but uh, love the tros. But so an elder is to guard and shepherd the flock and guard doctrine, to guard truth. Elders, they, they will, although they will be involved in those things, logistics and administration, their responsibility is to lead and serve pastorally. So even as elders chime in on decisions on, you know, uh, a future facility or not. Again, we would want to do that thinking kingdom, kingdom, with a kingdom mindset. What is going to propel us in participating and making disciples, glorifying God by reaching people and raising them up in, in the truth and the things of faith? Acts 20, 28 through 31 says this. It says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that the three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So we want to see just this passionate, all-encompassing purpose of these who lead in this way to give all of their lives for the sake of the glory of God and for the sake of those they've been given to lead. To summarize what we see in Scripture, to shepherd or guard the flock is to protect, feed, lead, and care. To protect, feed, lead, and care. This includes seeking the lost and straying sheep, those people that are in need that are, that are either haven't, haven't found the truth of God or are wandering from it. To, to discipline sin, again, that is a loving thing. Just as we discipline our children out of love, as the body of Christ, those who know that the truth of God is good and that it's destructive to go against the truth of God, which is sin, we will discipline sin for the sake of their good. That's a loving thing. Admonishing improper behavior and attitudes. Again, you'll hear, you've heard it said here a lot, we're not about behavior modification, but yet our, the activity of our life will change as we, as we are, again, transformed more and more into the likeness of God, and we want to, in, in very real ways, help people understand how their lives can line up as we hunger and thirst and seek for righteousness. That is the active pursuit of dying, killing sin in our life, and making our life look more like, uh, again, God. And then also stopping bitter infighting, just the health of the family. Just saying, hey, there's no room for this. Let's, let's, be, let's, deal with what we, let's deal with what we need to deal with. Let's be direct. Let's be honest. Let's be humble. Let's do it, and let's move forward for the glory of God and the good of each other. We stop it. We fight for that. So if that's what an elder is to do, elders should be like protectors, watchmen, defenders, and guardians. Like, again, and I'm not trying to, like, put elders on this pedestal. I'm just trying to communicate the role that, they're, that, we, that, that I lead in and that they're stepping into. So just like qualifications are the same standard, we're all called to foundation to this, uh, we're all called to this same responsibility. The elders are not the only ones expected to care for the local church. We are all called and expected to share that responsibility, every one of us. Again, just to go to Scripture, Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That is to all the people of God, to all the people who are in Christ. 
After all, we are people, we're a family who's been charged to take responsibility for each other's expressing and experiencing gospel mission and maturing. That is who we are. An elder's job is to equip the people of the church for kingdom work, for that gospel mission. We see it in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. It says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry to building up the body of Christ. So that means that we as elders, our main concern is you to come alongside and help you, help you grow in the first things of faith, help you grow in the understanding of who God is and who you are in him, help you grow in your understanding of your spiritual gifts and how they can be used for God's kingdom work, not just to volunteer at the bridge. It's much bigger than that. This is a global vision. This is God's eternal redemptive work for the whole world that we're participating in. And yes, it starts here in this room and it goes out. But yeah, that's what we're working towards. We as elders are supposed to come alongside and equip you so that you can be the ministers. Sounds fun. Not as easy, but it's fun. Picture, just if everyone in this room, I know it's today some of your first time, picture if everyone in this room said, okay, that's who we are. That's what we do. And all of a sudden, we order our lives and our activities in that way. Like, what will happen to this world? That's what's promised. We get to see the transformative work of the gospel flow through us as we structure ourselves in a way that honors this as God has given. So an elder is more than an office. Yes, as we saw just right then in 1 Timothy 3, that it is an office of leadership in the church. An elder's responsibility is not to occupy an office. Okay, so what does that mean? So the elder's authority does not come from the office. It comes from Jesus Christ. He's appointed by the Spirit. The Spirit leads and appoints the elder. It's a spiritual thing. And the only authority he has is the authority of Jesus Christ. He never acts on his own authority. And if we do, let's call him out. Call me out. Okay? I invite you. I don't know. I pray it never happens. I pray it doesn't have to, but I invite you. I implore you for the sake of God's glory and for the health of our church, do it. But yet, we don't act in our own authority. We act in the authority of Christ, and an elder is not called to serve an office. He is called to serve the church. It says you want to, in Corinthians, it says you want to be a part of a spiritual work. Participate in building up one another. That's the spiritual work that satisfies So as we see throughout Scripture, the call to lead is the call to lay down one's life for the sake of those they're leading. And I'll give you a few examples I could, but I'm just going to give you Jesus. There was no one more worthy to just lead, to just say, follow me, which he did. But in that, he laid down his life to the point of death, to the point of a humiliating, excruciating death on a cross. So as the elder, we're saying, we will lead by laying down our lives. So in my mind, this next question is such a natural follow-up to, lo- to looking at the responsibility of elders and what we flow out of. And that question is, why a plurality of elders? Why, when I mean that, like, I'm an elder, right? You know, so if we just left it as it is, we would have an elder-led church that is just really no different than a lot of churches you know of where there's kind of a corporate structure where there's a point and a pyramid and it goes from there, and everyone does what he says, and he, he gets the word from God, and everyone else just says, okay, well, he said it, we do it. All right, we're, just here, to, we're here to do what he said. That's not what we want. So why a plurality? Why a plurality? First, we feel that it is what the gospel 
gave us. In the New Testament sense, every time we see reference to elders, it is plural. Just a couple of examples. James 5, 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, when I say that they're plural, here you see elders in English, the original Greek, the sense is plural as well. Acts 14, 23, it says, and it's the same thing here, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So not only is the Greek for elder plural, the Greek for church we see there is singular. So again, because you can make the argument that we're talking, that we're speaking to an area, because that's often the letters were written to like the church in Rome. That's a big area. So we, we could say, well, it's the same thing. But here, if you look at the original language, we see that it is plural, plural for elders, singular for church, and it's pretty clear there in Acts. It says for, in every church. So first off, why plurality? Because we feel like it's a step of obedience. It is just because we believe that what God gives us in his word is good, and it's good for us, and it's for his glory. And we want to participate in that. And so just for that reason, we say, okay, that sounds great. Let's do it. Um, also, we are prone to make idols out of our preference for the tangible and touchable. We will, we, will, we will turn to an idol because it's easier, because it's tangible and it's touchable. We see this in the, the way people have strived for human leader, first with the people of Israel and them crying out for an earthly king when God has said, no, I am your leader. I'm your king. He said, you will be led by the prophets through my word through them. And they cried out, they cried out, and he finally gave them Saul. And it was horrible, a train wreck. And it's been perpetuated ever since then. We see it even like in the New Testament, Paul and Apollos. I mean, if any earthly man, any earthly pastor did it right, it was Paul. And yet we see in the word where all of a sudden he's like, hey, some, some of you said you follow Apollos. Some said you follow me. Hey, I say we follow Christ. And if you're going to follow me, only follow me as I follow Christ. And so we are prone to make idols of our leaders, and that is, more, that is more likely to happen when there is one man. And we don't want that. That is, that is a death knell. <laughs> we don't want that. Um, again, Colossians, uh, just to make it clear, Jesus is our head pastor. He is the head of our church. He is the one that we, again, as we act in his authority, he is also the one that we follow. Colossians 1.18, the beginning of it says, and he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. 1 Peter 2.4, and when the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The chief shepherd is the head of all shepherds. We are simply shepherds of his flock, steward shepherds. Personally, personally speaking, it liberates me. It liberates me to lead in spite of my imperfections. C.S. Lewis points out, he says, we all have a fatal flaw. He says, we all have a fatal flaw. We all have a flesh to deal with. I love the way this, this one guy, Robert Greenleaf in Servant Leadership, uh, kind of summarized this. I think we have it on screen. It says, to be a lone chief atop a pyramid is abnormal and corrupting. None of us are perfect by ourselves, and all of us, and all of us, us need the help and correcting influence of close colleagues. When someone is moved atop a pyramid, that person no longer has colleagues, only subordinates. Even the frankest and bravest of subordinates do, do, do not talk with their boss in the same way that they talk with colleagues who are equals, and normal communication patterns become warped. So a plurality only reinforces the reality that we are all responsible for participating in the Great Commission. 
So first, it protects me as a leader. It protects you as those who have trusted the design and, and, and structure of God, saying, okay, we've trusted the leaders that have been appointed as what, as what we have felt by the leading of the Holy Spirit. So we're saying, hey, man, the more, the better to an extent. You know, again, it's the, the idea of the complementary nature of the body of Christ, where I am weak, Hyro is strong. Where Hyro is weak, Kurt is strong, and so on and so on and so on. And it works like that through the whole body of Christ. That's why we say we're better together for the glory of God, right? Because us together, living in unified, submitted, living unified, submitted to the truth of God, we will give the world a better picture of Jesus. Because by ourselves, we are less capable. Because by ourselves, we look less like Jesus. Same thing with our elders. We will be more effective with a plurality of elders than I could be by myself because my wisdom is fleeting, my knowledge falls way short, my, my flesh is strong at times, my, my surrendered life is weak at times, and, and I just, there's just experience, it's practical, it's spiritual, it's everything. So we want to see that. That's why we say that the plurality is there. And then, like, I, I just kind of got ahead there for a second. It also models the expression of the entire church. That just as we share responsibility and leadership, we all share responsibility in living out this mission and purpose of glorifying God, caring for one another, and reaching the world for G- with Jesus. So, I started out by saying if we want a healthy church, we need healthy leaders. We describe what we feel a healthy leader is. Our prayer is that all we do would be in line with the word of God, motivated for his glory in the care of one another as we all commit to living as a people set apart in Christ for God's kingdom purpose. So let us be reminded that we all have a mandate in common that we look to. And we looked at that mandate a couple of weeks ago on our Vision Sunday, and that's that we must understand that even our structure of our church is meant to make us more effective at living out the great commission that was left to us. Jesus' parting words to his people, his charge to his people that is common to all those who are in Christ. And we see it in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we're going to take some time to pray in just a moment. But before we do that, I want to let you guys hear from the guys we've been talking about, from Hyro and Kurt, just to let them have a chance to share their story, their journey, how Christ has worked in their life, and what has compelled them to accept this charge. So Hyro, if you can grab that mic. Hello? Hello? All right, good morning, everybody. Um, before we get started, just want to briefly pray, so if you'll pray with me. Father God, um, thank you just for this time right now to share your story in my life. I pray that um, you would be glorified by this time and that it would be what you would desire. I pray this all in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jairo Rojas. I was born the youngest of four boys in greater Miami, Florida. I was born to two loving parents, and when I grew up, my mom was my moral compass. She taught me right and wrong. I would also ask her questions like, so, let me see my notes here. So, what religion am I? And she would say, Catholic Christian. But that was a trait, like my hair color. I would ask her, how do I get into heaven? And she would say, be good. Don't worry, just be good. 
Occasionally on the holidays, we would go to church, but growing up, I didn't really know God. As I grew older, other influences came into my life. And one that stands out is in history class, I learned this concept of manifest destiny. You make your own destiny. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to make my life great. And what I meant by that, looking at certain parts of Miami culture and three older unbelieving brothers, is that I was going to seek pleasure. And what that played out in my life was materialism, getting drunk, doing drugs, and sleeping around. And I thought I had it together. And I also knew that getting good grades was the right thing to do because it was going to allow me to better live out this lifestyle. And so I got good grades and got the ability to go to college. And I took that lifestyle and that worldview into college with me. So I was in a new place, but it was the same story. And I thought I was having a great time. Life was really being played out exactly the way I thought it should be. But I wasn't having a great time. And God revealed that through me, um, through a relationship I had had for years that had been on again and off again. And I had finally gotten to the point where it was over, and I knew that. But what was different this time is that instead of jumping right into that hedonistic lifestyle, I didn't want to do that. And it shocked me. It surprised me. It made me really question what I was doing because that's always what I would have done. And so I asked myself, well, what is my life really about? What am I trying to really live out? And I had no idea. But I just said, okay, I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to take a break from everything. I'm just going to go to class and just chill, relax. And it was during this break that I was walking through campus, and I had an acquaintance from class hand me this flyer. And on the flyer, it said Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which is an awesome movie. <laughs> if you've not seen it, I recommend you see it. And the Bible. Now, I didn't know much about the Bible, but I knew it to be a book of knowledge. I almost thought of it in a mystical sense. You know, you hear about it, but you don't know what it is. So I said, awesome movie, Bible. Yeah, I'm going to go to this. This is awesome. And so I go to this, and I, I attend the event, and it's a person talking over the Bible. And at the end of it, the acquaintance and some guys approach me, and they say, hey, do you want to start studying the Bible? So I said, sure, I'm exploring right now. Why not? And I meet with these guys, and I'm so thankful that I did. Because in those meetings and studying the Word, God revealed to me my true state. I, was, I learned that I was a sinful person, that my sin has separated me so far from God. And regardless of my philosophy of making my life great, I can never make myself better. I can never be so good to close that gap. But in that knowledge that I knew it was impossible on my behalf for me to do that, I learned about Jesus. I learned that Jesus, the Son of God, had come to this world, lived a perfect life, and died for my sins. He broke his body and shed his blood for me. And that in believing in him, I could be saved. I could be restored. And so God revealed that to me as truth, and I knew it to be true, and I accepted Christ in my life. The guys I were meeting with, I started attending their church, and pretty quickly, me and a couple of friends realized we were, it was a cult-like environment. There was a lot of examples of this, and if you want to talk about it after, we can, but what I'll bring up was they believed they were the only safe church in any one city. Regardless if another church had a lot of the same or identical beliefs, it was impossible for there to be two safe churches. There was only one. You had to be part of this church. And that's a philosophy. And they started kind of creating environments where they would control your behavior. And so you can imagine, kind of scary, young believer, find myself in a cult-like environment. Thankfully, I had other people in my life that were going through the same situation. And we knew we had to leave the church, struggled through that, but we did. And we found a good church home. I bring that up only briefly to show that 
it could have easily been a part where I would have said, what is this religion business? I try it and I end up in a cult. Why not just go back to the life that I've always lived? But I didn't. God had revealed this truth, and I wasn't going to flee from it, and I'm so thankful for that. So 21 years not knowing God, and I meet him and start the journey of growth. And if you fast forward through that, that journey, you'll see a lot of ups. You'll see a lot of downs. You'll see evidence of growth, but you'll see a lot of evidence of me still being like a young believer, craving that spiritual milk. And that's where God worked again and put a catalyst in my life to, to cause more growth. And that was my wonderful wife, Corinne. I know when we met um, and we started dating, one of the things that we both realized early on is we had very different views of purity. In my, in my mind, purity for me was, well, I mean, quite frankly, you stop short of sex and it's okay. Her views of purity were very different. And it wasn't just physical, it was on the social, you know, mental, just all aspects of our life and in our relationship. And it was awesome. And the challenge was great, it was hard, but it was, I mean, it was what I was called to. So I ended up getting plugged in with her church at Grace Bible Church. We attend what's called a growth group here. We would call it a curriculum-based transformation group and just really grew in that event. <laughs> we um, ended up leading a couple of those and just really got involved in the church. And one day we're sitting at the Grace Bible Church and some guy, Heath Haynes, is at the front talking about some church that's going to plant in Montrose, which is where we lived. Um, based on a lot of aspects of the Bible, but one of them that really resonated with us was this aspect of community, which we were struggling with at Grace. And so I think after that, Corinne and I quickly realized we were called to attend this church, and we've been blessed to be a part of it um, nearly from the beginning. And um, again, here, it's been an opportunity to grow in the Lord, you know, have opportunities to lead, and it's kind of brought me here to this elder calling, which you guys will be voting on. And the elder calling, as you saw, and as I've studied, it's a really, really high calling. And I got to tell you, I feel inadequate. But I think for me, I want to be faithfully obedient. And I think at the end of the day, I know that with the elders and with God, where I am weak, God will be strong. Um, well, um, thanks for, thanks for, um, just allowing me up here to share my, share my story. Um, I'm going to give the abridged version. I'm happy to give a longer version. Um, I'm also going to start in prayer. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for this opportunity, um, to just share the work that you've done, um, in my life. Um, just a story of grace and love, um, and the work that, that you do in all our lives, Father, um. Almighty name, I pray. Amen. Um, I my name's Kirk Kiefer. Um, yep, names up there. Um, I grew up the youngest of four as well, um, and I grew up attending um, a Catholic church um, with my parents or with my mom, really. Um, and that that really, I think, taught me some. You know, introduced me to the concept of God and introduced me to the concept of the cross. Um, when I was ten years old. Um, my older brother, Craig, who was a year older than me, um, just died all of a sudden. He, he, he passed out. We were, um, my dad actually was getting converted into the Catholic church that, that night, and our brother passed out, and he, um, he died the next day, uh, which happened to be Easter. Um, that led to a lot, of, uh, a lot of devastation in my family, um, a lot of confusion um, as to 
who God is and, and really what the, um, you know, what God's goodness is and, and, and just why that would happen. Um, everybody kind of went their different ways. Our family stopped talking pretty much all together. Um, I, uh, I was the youngest and felt the, the greatest weight to, uh, to succeed, um, to live a life that was um, not only my life, but my brother's life. And um, really my life became about control. Um, never wanted to feel that way again. Never wanted my mom uh, to feel the pain that she felt. Um, and, and just relying on myself, you know, I, I didn't need God. Um, I didn't need God. I, um, I wasn't sure what he could do for me and, and just wasn't a relationship I was interested in. Um, when I went to college, um, the, the feeling of control and, and really kind of um, living to not upset my mom um, easily transformed to the idolization of other women. Um, of women and then, and then further idolization of myself. Um, and what I could do. Um, I had a lot of very impure relationships, uh, was not walking with God, didn't know him, uh, didn't really want to. Um, within a year of graduating college, um, I was engaged, um, and I actually got married a year, a year after that. <coughs> I always cry. It's just who I am, so... Uh, within six months, uh, my wife um, had cheated on me. I was lying. Um, within a year, we were divorced after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, well, <laughs> uh, I fell into a downward spiral, so just of shame and sin. Um, turned to idols, sex. Um, anyway, I could get it. Um, and just further reliance on myself and success and, and work and, and money, and, and, um, but mainly sex. Um, tried to fill that void um, that we all have in our lives without God. Um, just utterly broken. Uh, in, this, in this time, um, God put people in my life um, that... Um, reintroduced me to who he was, started bringing me to church, um, started hearing of, uh, for the first time, like, what Jesus, what God gave us in Jesus, um, what God gave us in Jesus' death on the cross. Um, I was really unwilling to hear some of that at the time, but I just started to hear it, it was intriguing to me. Um, I had another failed relationship, um, and I remember sitting in bed and just crying, and having heard the word of God, and just knowing, recognizing my brokenness, recognizing that my life had been about control, um, and how I had no control. I had no control over myself, I had no control over my situation, um, and I was in desperate need of God and a Savior, and I prayed, God, save me. Um, I submit to you, you know, you are God. I can't control myself. You're in control. Just save me. Um, I'd say, you know, nearly immediately my life began to change. Um, I bought a Celebrate Recovery Bible and went through the Celebrate Recovery program. 
um, which is an excellent program for, for people that have hurts. Uh, really began praying and submitting to God um, and just seeing the grace and love that is in the cross. Um, it's, it's beautiful. Um, my tears are tears of joy because I was so far removed from God. And just by believing we are reconciled, um, that's amazing. Like, if you don't know that, I mean, just know that it's so good. Um, the free gift of grace, which I know I clearly so just did not deserve, um, but it is, it is just freely given. Um, in response, um, you know, I just felt adopted. I felt loved by God, and it's just an amazing feeling just to feel just out of fire. Um, I took three months off of work. I uh, kind of dove into the mission field. I did a short-term mission, one in Cuba and one in uh, Uganda. Um, and, and that's what I thought I needed to do. You know, I need to go tell people how, how about this, about God. Uh, what I found during that time is that mission was really, the mission field was my heart. Um, I met believers who were daily abiding in God. Um, and that was when I, and, and really just a, the fellowship of believers. Um, the three things I learned from that are just how important a community of believers is. Um, how important it is to just be sharpened by each other. I just to live um, in fellowship, which I never had. Um, how important it is to just daily live out the gospel and what that looks like. Never having experienced that, I learned what it looks like. And really, just how great the need is back here at home. Um, knowing that there are people like me who grew up attending church um, and kind of knew what the cross was, but never understanding and never understanding their just desperate need for Christ. Um, there is such a great need here. Um, so for the last seven years, I've poured myself into service. Um, I have uh, I've been working with Young Life Houston Southwest, um, where it's just awesome to, to, to meet and live life with high school kids, um, to love on them, um, to show them uh, their great need, but to show them how all that need is, is met with, with a Savior. Um, also, um, been involved, um, and have a heart for missions still, um, local and global. Um, there is, um, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's, a, there's a beauty in, in living out the gospel abroad and living it out here. Um, the mission field is everywhere. Um, children's ministry is another thing I'm very, very uh, um, involved with, and I love um, just teaching the kids just, just truth. Um, God is so big. God made everything. Um, God is in control, and he loves you. Uh, we can never hear that enough, you know? Like, how good does it feel just to hear that come out of my mouth? Um, gosh, that's so good. Um, Small groups, uh, been involved in, in small groups and, and disciple-making, um, and really just, um, I think God is, is teaching me um, continually the importance of, of disciple-making and what discipleship looks like, um, how, how it looks to live with people. Um, 
and to speak truth into each other's lives. About five years ago, um, I met Marianne um, and learned about, um, I'll just say, you know, it has been a, it's been a great, it's been a great journey. Um, it's been a great picture of, of God's grace and love, um, which really just sums up my life. It's just a picture of God's grace and love. Um, um, having a relationship where we both put God first, um, has been really instrumental in me understanding how, what God's picture is for him and us. Um, and I'd, I'd say just daily, um, that has been teaching me of other areas that I, I still, I still don't want to submit to God, um. So, you know, I think daily we're discovering our own selfishness and, and areas where, um, you know, God is asking us to, to give up everything. Um, when it comes to eldership, um, actually the first, coming to the bridge, it was our first decision. We got married two years ago, and it was our first decision as a married couple was um, GBC was, you know, starting a church plant, and it was, what are we going to do? Should we join this this church plant? Um, and careful prayer um, and, you know, leadership um, and also just um, stepping out in faith, um, knowing that this is a community of believers and it's in a place of brokenness, um, meeting the other people that had um, started to, you know, gather around um, to come to the bridge. Um, just really, uh, I think it really, I just, I, it just was such a, there's such energy behind the crowd that we had joining of um, such a great energy behind a mission um, and, you know, just how, uh, how important fellowship and community is. And that really spoke to us. Um, so we decided to join. Um, now the eldership, um, you know, I, I think like Cairo, we went through an eldership class together, um, with a couple other guys here, um, and it's a tall task, um, but, you know, and I think we always, we've talked about it before, like, we, we don't always feel, you know, totally worthy of this task, um, but I mean, you know, God is good, in everything, and God is is leading us, and and knowing that I need to daily submit to to God in every decision I make, um, daily submit to God in in my life, um, and and hope to do the same thing with this eldership process. So, appreciate it. Thank you. I'll take it for you. Thanks. Man, I'm so thankful for these guys. And, man, I'm sitting here. We're about to close our time of kind of our message time and prayers we do every week. But before we do, just hearing these guys just share their journeys is such a good reminder of, uh, of just, gosh, the power of hearing a story of a life transformed and claimed. And, and what's great about those stories, it was very clear from Hiram and Kurt, that it wasn't a story of their goodness or their effort or their achievement. It was a story 
their stories are stories of God's faithfulness and his grace and his goodness. And so just let that be a good encourager and reminder to all of us to not wait for moments like this to share stories or for testimony nights if you're in a group uh, to share stories. Like, man, share them over coffee. Share them often. Ask each other about, about each other's journeys. Like, ask. Like, what a gift to be able to hear the story and possibly helping someone understand God's truth more from your story. So just let that be a great reminder. What a beautiful picture and a compelling picture of God's love and grace and goodness and faithfulness shown to us in Christ for salvation and his, his continued word and Holy Spirit for our, our, uh, and our fellowship with him and work with him. So, but as we, as we do, we want to come to a time of prayer that we all join in on. And, and today, I, I would love for our prayers just to kind of be focused on and offered up kind of in vain of praying for our, our church, praying for it to be a church that glorifies God, that it's healthy in truth, it's healthy in leadership, and not don't pray just for the elders of our church. Pray for all those who are leading in various ways. Pray for us to have, you know, again, you get it. Just let your mind go from there. Let your Pray your heart. Uh, let's, let's be bold. Let's be humble. Let's be confessional, whatever we need to be. If you feel led, pray out loud. If you don't feel led to pray out loud, pray quietly. If you don't feel any one of those, just listen to the hearts of the people of God being expressed. And in a moment, Travis will come up and lead us through communion. So I'll start us, and then we'll go from there. So God, I just I love you so much, and I thank you for your love for us, God, and I thank you for Jesus. Lord, that cause of your great love, took on flesh, you sent your one and only son into this world so that we could know you, so that we would not have to change first, but that we could be changed by Jesus. Pray for us as a church, God, that we would live humbly, walk boldly, be courageous, Lord, because we know your spirit is in us, your truth is, is transforming and, Lord, that your grace abounds. God, I pray that we would be a church that is, that, that is what we do is, is simply what we are. And, Lord, help us to have clarity and understanding when we start drifting towards the things that aren't eternal, God. And, and Lord, that as we do have to make choices about what kind of structure we have, in or, organizationally speaking, and what programs we do, I pray that they would be centered on the sole purpose of building up the church to do your kingdom work in this world, to glorify you and make the work of Christ known. Lord, give us great unity in that. Um, so, Lord, I thank you for today, for a chance to hear your truth, a chance to hear stories of lives transformed in Christ and the continuing work of your truth in them. God, be glorified in us. In Jesus' name.